grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned before the service, we want to look today at prayer as the center of the church's life. I'll read a couple verses from James chapter 1, which you heard. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. One of the things the Bible tells us again and again that we are to do if we have faith is pray. Prayer is to be at the center of the church's life, at the center of the Christian's life. And the alternate epistle reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I want to read that. Verses 1 through 6. I'll read that to you so you can hear that as well. So we're going to be looking in some detail at this reading. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, and speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. It's interesting as you think about James 1 and 1 Timothy 2, right? James 1 says that if you have true religion, that if you have faith, one of the things you'll do is take care of orphans and widows. I would suggest as well that if you're not already praying for orphans and widows, there's very little chance you'll actually do anything for them. So Paul says that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks are to be made for all men. Supplications are very specific requests made on behalf of specific people. Prayers here is just kind of prayers in general, praying generally for things. Intercessions are urgent, bold, and earnest requests made to God on behalf of specific things from specific people. And of course, as Paul tells us throughout his epistles, whenever we pray, we're to give thanks for all that God has done and will do in response to our prayers. But it's interesting because he says, why do we pray for all men, and especially for kings and all in authority, he says, we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. I think a lot of people have misunderstood what Paul's trying to say here. He's not, because he says in 2 Timothy, that if you follow Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. So he's not saying that we pray that we would never suffer, because that's just not going to happen. That's unrealistic. What Paul says we are to pray for is that we may lead godly lives. Why? So that others may be able to hear the gospel. So there's room for the gospel to go out and flourish. That is Paul's concern here. He wants us to lead a quiet and peaceable life doing what? Praying for all men and sharing the gospel with all men. That is at the forefront of what Paul's talking about here. And we know this too, because in 1 Thessalonians 4, with a very similar verse, he says that you may walk properly towards outsiders towards those who are not Christians. So one of the things we pray for is that the circumstances would be right that we as the church may be able to proclaim the gospel that others might hear it. And so Paul says we pray for all men. 
Why? Because God desires all men to be saved. See, these verses work as a tight unit. You pray for all men. Why? Because God wants all men to be saved. Yes. Including kings and those in authority. So one of the things we ought to be doing as Christians, you ought to be praying for those in authority. And one of the things you're to pray for, for them, is that they might actually be saved. It doesn't matter whether you like the elected official that's in office or whether you dislike them. It doesn't matter whether they go against everything you believe, you are still to pray for them. And part of what you pray for them is that they might be saved. It is true, too, from the Bible that you can pray that their ideas and plans would be thwarted, that God would bring those ideas, especially wicked ones, to an end, yes. But we're still to pray for their salvation. That God would actually change their hearts and minds. We're not just praying for kings and authorities so we can lead a quiet and peaceable life, but because Paul says God wants them to be saved too. It's not just so that we can not have severe persecution or something like that. It's because God wants even them to be saved. It's also true, and I've said this many times, but I'll say it again. It is hard to hate someone. It is hard to treat someone poorly if you are praying for them. And that's true of our elected officials. If you're praying for them and you sincerely mean it and you you mean what you say when you pray for them then it's going to be hard to have a visceral kind of reaction to them, a hatred to them, even if they're not someone you personally like. But you're praying that God would actually work in their lives and bring them to salvation. You will view them differently. Of course, Paul says to pray for all men. So what's the first thing we pray for for all men? For your neighbors, for your friends, for your family, for strangers, for enemies, for all men. You pray first and foremost that God would save them. That God would bring them to repentance. That God would reach in and change their hearts, remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh, just like he did for you. That's the first thing you pray for for them. Paul gives a beautiful example of this in Romans chapter 9. Paul says in Romans chapter 9, and it's almost as if he's praying as he says this, he says, I would rather... I'm going to paraphrase. I would rather go to hell and suffer God's condemnation than watch my fellow Israelites reject Christ and go to hell. If it were possible, I would take their place, Paul says. I would take their place and suffer their punishment if it meant they would be saved. It's that kind of desire for the salvation of men that led Paul to pray for all men. He couldn't bear to think that they would suffer the eternal torments of hell. And so what did he do? He prayed for them. For all men. No matter who they were, what they had done to him, Paul prayed for them. And so too, we ought to pray for them. Even those people that get on our nerves and really bug us, even those people that have done us great harm, those people that have done things to us that we can't ever forget, them too we pray. Pray that God might convert them. Because that's why God sent his son. Right? It's, it's really interesting. We have the unity confessed throughout scripture that 
God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all working towards the same end. What is that end? The salvation of mankind. And so God sent his Son to be the mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. So that we have, and we'll hear more about this Thursday at the Ascension Service, we have a human being, we have a man, someone in the flesh, at the right hand of the Father who intercedes for us who offered payment for your sins on your behalf, who was the ransom for you. That's how far God went to save and rescue you. And what Paul is saying here to us is that our prayers reflect the same desire that the Holy Trinity has to save others. Our prayers reflect that very same desire. Because we know that God chooses to work through means. Because sometimes people get frustrated with prayer, I think. I think one of the reasons sometimes people don't pray is because they think, well, God's going to do what he's going to do anyway, whether I pray or not. Or God already knows what I need, so I'm not going to pray. But the fact is, God has ordered such things and designed it that he wants you to pray and that he works in response to your prayers. Not because he had to, but because he chooses to. So if he says to pray for these things, then that means he wants you to pray for them because he desires and delights to work through your prayers to bring those things about. It is Mother's Day. And mothers in particular are known for praying for their children. And we have no idea probably how much good has been brought about in this world through mothers' prayers. We do know of one significant example that we still reap the benefits of today. St. Monica, St. Augustine's mother, prayed for 30-some years that her son would be converted and saved. In fact, at one point in her life, she chased her son around and went to the town and went to the bishop where her son had just arrived and went to the bishop and pleaded with him, basically, go smack my son upside the head and show him the truth. The bishop knew who St. Augustine was and said, that's not going to work with him. But you go home and pray. God will hear your prayers and your tears. And she did. And what happens? St. Augustine was converted and became the most dominant intellectual figure in the Western church still today. It's an astounding story. Now I know, and I'm not foolish enough to think that All such prayers end with such happy endings. But I do know that God works a great deal through prayer, including the prayers of a mother for a child. And you can trust, when you pray, that God will do what he's promised to do. You can leave all these things in his hands. But don't think for a minute it doesn't matter, or it makes no difference. It's not what the Bible says. It's not what Paul tells us right here in our text that we're looking at. Paul even says this is the very reason he was appointed as a preacher and apostle, as a teacher of the Gentiles. Why? That they might come to saving faith. I mean, this whole section is Paul really hammering home the glories of evangelism and missionary work. That he was even appointed for that. That he went out and preached long gospel because he was trusting that it was the Holy Spirit who would work through such means to convert sinners. And part of that is God answering prayers for these people to be converted. 
And so what God has promised to do influences what we do and how we pray. We share the gospel because the Lord says, share the gospel, because the Lord has done all things for the salvation of men. Now, I want to take all of this and, and narrow it down to the application for the prayers of God's people and of specifically the church. We've looked a lot on this Sunday over the years at individual prayer, but this applies to individual prayer as well, but I really want to focus on corporate prayer. In 1 Peter 2, we are told, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Peter says you are a royal priesthood, you are kingly priests. And one of the things God has given you to do as a priest is to intercede on behalf of others. I think it's significant that Paul makes this a center point of the work of the church to pray for the salvation of others because what does the church exist for? Why are we here? The gospel might be proclaimed that sinners might hear the good news of the forgiveness of their sins. So as you pray this for others, you're also praying it for yourself because you want to to be saved. The prayer that the gospel is proclaimed and that sinners are converted is a prayer for your own salvation. That you would keep hearing the gospel. That you would keep being converted. Again and again and again, believing in Christ Jesus, confessing your sin, repenting of it, and receiving the holy absolution. Herman Sosa wrote these words in 1949 about the importance of prayer in the church. He said, the Lutheran churches are still sunning themselves in the delusion that they have something to expect from the world other than the dear Holy Cross, which all those must carry who proclaim God's law and the gospel of Jesus Christ to mankind, but this delusion will soon disappear. Our American brethren in the faith will also learn this through painful experience. Instead of setting up a church office in Washington, D.C., it would have been better had they equipped some place somewhere in the solitude of their immense country where prayers would be offered day and night for their government and for the peace of the world. For the Church of Christ is not a church that is always busy holding conferences, nor is she a church that does business with politicians and the press. She is Ecclesia Orans. She is the praying church. That is her main calling. Either she is the praying church, as indeed she shows herself to be already in the catacombs, or she is nothing. So Sosa says, as a church, here in this place, that one of the greatest things we do on behalf of the world is to pray. To pray for their salvation, to pray for their well-being, to pray for peace. Have you ever listened carefully to what we pray for in the prayer of the church? Because we start by asking God and thanking God for the gifts that we've been given in the service. We pray that we be kept in the faith. We pray for both the body and the spirits of those we're praying for. We pray for both temporal and eternal blessings. We do that week in and week out. And it's not just something kind of tacked into the service, but it's at the very center and heart of the service because we are the praying church. 
in the way this community will be changed in this county, in this state, in this nation, is not primarily, as Salsa says, not through conferences, not through press conferences, not through trying to convince politicians to do things our way, but first and foremost, it's through prayer. It's a wonderful gift God has given it. And yes, we belittle it so much. We look down upon it. We don't think much of it. And yet, as Sosa says, this is the very heart of the church, that we are praying. Desperation drives the church to pray and to pray even harder, both corporately and individually. And prayer is nothing more than the heart's beat of faith. If we have faith, we will pray. Part of what the Bible promises is that as you pray as an individual Christian, as you pray, our Father who art in heaven, you're always praying with all of the church. In one sense, every individual Christian's prayer is still part of a corporate prayer. You're praying together. You're never alone. Your prayers are going up with all the saints who are praying. Sauce in this context, and it's the same with the context of our words of our Lord, which we'll look at in a moment, is suffering. He says we will come to expect nothing else than the dear Holy Cross. Suffering is one of the things that will drive us to pray very quickly. So then the question this morning is, what are you suffering from? What are you desperate from? And are you taking it to the Lord in prayer? And if not, shame on you. Take those things to the one who can do something about it. Many are worried and concerned about the future of this church and finding a pastor. Have you prayed about it? Have you sought the Lord in prayer? Are you praying to make a wise decision to vote next week for a pastor? Are you crying out to him that he would do good here in this place? Remember the disciples on the sea with our Lord when there was a great storm and they were scared to death they were going to drown. And they went to him and said, Wake up! Don't you know we're about ready to perish? And Jesus gets up and says, Why do you have so little faith? Why don't you trust me? Now the disciples, for all their faults there, they knew one thing. They knew they were in trouble and where did they go? They took their prayer and petition to Jesus. So whatever is in your life that feels overwhelming, whatever you're suffering from, both individually and corporately, run to Jesus with those things. Cry out to him. So what did he promise in John 16? Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name, asking you will receive that your joy may be full. We pray in Jesus' name because Jesus is the one who's died for all your sins. He's the one who's risen again and who's ascended. Is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. And so Jesus cares about all of these things and wants you to come to him. And you come in his name that is covered in his righteousness and under his authority. You don't go to God and say, I want you to do this because I'm so wonderful and special so you better come through. 
You go to the Father and say, in your Son's name, please do this for me. Please do this for us. The church is driven to prayer because we have Jesus already with the promise that he's interceding on our behalf already. So that when you pray, you are joining into his prayer. You're joining into the prayer of the one who suffered and died for you, the one who rose again for you, the one who has promised to be with you. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, even in those days of deep darkness. So do that. Run to him. Pour out your heart to him. Bring your petitions to him. Cast all your anxieties and cares at the foot of his cross. And know that he hears, that he cares, and that he is going to act. It's not always immediate like it was on the boat with the disciples. Paul doesn't promise here that everyone you pray for is going to be saved. He doesn't make any promises like that. But we're promised throughout the Bible that God will hear, he will act, he will respond, and that we can trust our petitions into his care. And that's my prayer for you. That you would see prayer as a beautiful gift it is, both corporately as a church, its importance, its vital nature to what we as a church do, and that would flow into your homes and continue to pray daily for all the things that you need. And especially that we'd pray for one another's salvation, that we'd run the course and finish the race. We pray for those who have left the faith, that they will come back to the faith. And that this place will continue to be a light in the darkness. Amen. Amen. The peace of God pass on our sin and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.